Well, thank you, Joe. I'm glad he started reading the right passage. I was getting a little nervous that I was going to have to just stand up here and wing it with whatever it was that he was reading. So uh, at least, uh, I mean, might sound like winging it anyway, but at least it's on the passage. So amen. Well, as Joe said, I'm from Greenwich Village in New York City in the Isle of Manhattan. I've been uh, pastoring a church and living there now since 1979. Not pastoring the church. I started pastoring the church in 87, but I've been living in the village since 79. I don't know if you're familiar at all with Greenwich Village. Um, I don't mean so much its reputation. You might be familiar with that. But uh, a lot of Manhattan, you know, is laid out in a kind of grid where you have avenues going north-south and you have streets going east-west, and they're all numbered by and large. So you have, you know, Avenue... Uh, 5th Avenue, 6th Avenue, 7th Avenue, 8th Avenue, and you have streets that run like 12, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and so on. Um, in Greenwich Village, that doesn't work. Uh, where we are in the lower part of Manhattan <clears throat> is actually used to be where the pasture land was when everything was just down, way down on the southern tip, what we call Wall Street now. And so there's a street called Bedford Street, for instance, which is really just a cow path that they would bring out, and now it's turned into a street. And uh, so a lot of streets in Greenwich Village don't have numbers and they don't follow a grid. Uh, as an example, though these do have numbers, um, <clears throat> West 4th Street crosses West 10th Street at some point. So everybody's going, well, how did that work? So I swear, I mean, for many, many years, I had a directions ministry in, in Greenwich Village. Uh, people would be lost wandering around, and they'd say, are you familiar with the neighborhood? Do you live here? And I would say, yes, yes, I do. And they'd ask me, and I'd try to be able to direct them where they needed to go. <clears throat> what was interesting is that when GPS first started coming in on phones, you know, uh, I, I remember there was this young couple, and they were right at the corner of, of Morton and Bedford, and I was standing there, and I overheard them talking about where they wanted to go. And uh, the young woman says, um, well, I, I think it's up this way. And then I hear him go, well, I, I'm not so sure. And I knew what she was talking about, what she was referencing. And so I went over, and I said to them, excuse me, um, uh, she's right. Um, it's, it's up that way. And he goes, looks at his phone, but, uh, but my phone says this. And I said, I don't know what to say. So the problem was is that he went his way and the woman followed him. And so they were going in the wrong direction. So, you know, more than likely, this following direction didn't have a huge lot of consequences to it. Maybe they showed up a little late for a dinner reservation or maybe they got, had to walk a few extra blocks. But the reality is, is that he didn't know where he was going. And I came along, and I did. I knew where they needed to go. But she was relying upon him, even though I gave her some other information. I can't blame her. I have to blame him. He's the doofus in the entire relationship. Now, as I said, those have large consequences. But there can be greater consequences when we really consider who it is that we're following and where it is that they're leading us to. And I believe that's what Proverbs 5, 1 through 14 directs us to, to consider clearly who it is that we're following, what direction they're taking, and do they know where they're going. Proverbs 15, 5, 1 through 14, begins this way. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen closely to my understanding, so that you may maintain discretion 
and your lips safeguard knowledge. Two things we want to pick up right away. One, he's saying, pay attention, listen to me. And the other thing that he is asking him to pay attention to is his wisdom, his understanding. Now, wisdom is a really rich word, and if uh, Joe's been preaching it all from Proverbs, I'm sure he's already given you definitions of it. But wisdom is, is more than just knowledge. Wisdom is really knowledge combined with experience, which leads you to make wise decisions. Uh, one great uh, definition of wisdom that I saw on, on a subway poster once for, uh, for a college in town is, was wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Knowledge rightly applied. And I think that's a great definition for wisdom. Because we can have knowledge and we can do something with it, but is it rightly applied? And what's informing the rightness of that application is really what comes down into wisdom. So here's someone who's a father to a son or perhaps a teacher to a student who's saying, listen, you need to pay attention to me. I'm going to give you from my experience. I'm going to give you from what I know, what I have experienced myself, what I've seen, what I've observed, and you need to pay attention in order that you might maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Discretion in this context, I think what he's meaning by this is that you, so, so that you can consider your decisions. You can weigh them out. You can have thoughtful decisions. So you can maintain that kind of posture towards your life where you're asking yourself, is this a wise thing to do? Is this a good thing for me to do? Where will this lead? And he also says that your lips will safeguard uh, knowledge. You know, I don't know. I, I'm, I've been guilty of it. I know I've been guilty of it. When I was in uh, uh, yeah, junior high, high school, I, I, I would just say things I had no idea what I was talking about. But it sounded like I knew what I was talking about, right? I'd, I'd reference things like movies or something. I didn't know what I was talking about. But this is what this man is asking of this son, to not be like that. That actually what comes out of his mouth aligns with reality. He's revealing what it is that he knows. And if he's listening to wisdom, if he's, if he's, if he's taking in what's being offered to him, then what will come out of his mouth will reflect that kind of wisdom. So... That's the, the setup for what he wants to go on to say. And, and obviously, he thinks whatever it is he's going to be sharing is, is vitally important to this young man. He goes on to say in verse 3, Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. That forbidden woman, you could be translate that as adulteress or seductress. We'll talk in just a little bit. This really doesn't just have to do with this. In fact, most commentators would argue that it isn't even really about a particular woman, but about the, the potential for seduction to follow something that leads to destruction. So he's saying, you know, he's saying, though this is the way it appears, the reality is something else, which also reflects that the person speaking to this young man, the one offering his wisdom, gets it, right? He knows what this is about. He's observed it. He's seen it. Perhaps he's even experienced it in his own life. And he's wanting to warn off this young man to not buy into this. Don't be seduced. Don't be drawn into this. Because there are grave, grave consequences. It might 
seems sweet like honey, and it might seem really smooth like oil, but the reality is it's really bitter as wormwood, just a bitter, bitter herb to the taste, and a sharp as a double-edged sword. Instead of being smooth, it, it cuts. And then he says these two things, and these are really important for us, I think, to, to, take, to take in if we want to understand the message that he's driving at. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight to shale, or you could say the grave. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. Listen to that again. Her feet go down to death. She's going somewhere. She's going to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. But she doesn't consider the path of her life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So the reality is she's headed somewhere, but she's completely clueless about just where it is that she's headed. Just where it is that, that her actions and their way of life is leading. She doesn't even sit, pause enough to think, to consider, is this a way to live? But she doesn't. And so the, the father teaching the son or the, the teacher to the student says, listen, you don't want to hook yourself up with this. She doesn't even know where she's going. She doesn't even stop long enough to consider the ramifications of her actions. And the fact of the matter is, her feet are leading to death. You want nothing to do with her. And so he goes on to say, so now, so now, my sons, listen to me. There it is again. And don't turn away from my words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others, your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources. Your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament what your, when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers. I didn't listen closely to my mentors. It's that first step that he's warning them off of, right? That first step where he begins down a path following somebody who doesn't know where they're going, doesn't understand that the kinds of things that they're doing leads to destruction, and he's going to say, that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to follow that person. Now, as I suggested to you before, this doesn't necessarily just have to do with sexual immorality. It really has to do with all temptation, all seduction, all the things that, that, that we could do that its end is destruction. And so it's applicable to all kinds of people. It isn't just to a man considering whether or not he should be involved with a forbidden woman. It has to do with really our taking account of those who are influencing us, those who are suggesting the way we ought to live, and are doing so in a way that really draws us in, has the power to seduce us. And we want to listen to the voices in our life that say, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. When this church launched a little over a year ago, I came down for that launch with a fellow from my church, a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a young guy growing up in Bensonhurst in Brooklyn. It was an Italian neighborhood, and it was, it was the godfather neighborhood. I mean, it was serious mafia stuff. And Stephen, as a young man, was being groomed. He was a punk, and he was dealing with wise guys. And he would go out. You know, they'd say, go beat up that guy. He would join a couple of guys and beat somebody up. Go steal that car, steal the car. He was, that was the kind of life that he was living in. He was being inculcated. He was being taught. He was being trained 
to be a racist, to be violent, to be a thief, and to do so with absolutely no conscience or compunction. Well, as Stephen testifies, God got hold of him one day, and suddenly his life was on a different path. Two weeks ago, Stephen sent me a text saying a guy that he grew up with in his neighborhood called them up to pray for him because this guy, four times a felon, is now facing 12 years to life in prison if he's convicted. So there's a, that's the path, right, that Stephen was, was, was going for. That's what, that's what he was listening to. This is the way you're going to be blessed. This is the way you're going to find you know, the money you want and be able to do the things you want to do. Just listen to me. Stephen, by the grace of God, stopped listening to that. And this other fellow, however, stayed in that same path. And now he sounds like, like verse uh, 14. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. So Stephen's friend, his name is Ace, by the way. You might remember to pray for him. Uh, he actually got together with Stephen. Stephen prayed with him. Stephen was able to give him a Bible. But, and, and, and God, we'll talk about this in just a minute, God can turn anybody around at any time. But Ace has got a long way to go. You go deep down that path, it's a long way back out of that path. Stephen himself is still dealing with his racism. He's still dealing with his, his, his need for kind of respect. That when he's dissed somehow, that, that his impulse is to want to go and straighten that person out. And he's now 67 years old, and he's still wrestling with it. So... What Proverbs, what the teacher in here is trying, to, is trying to warn the Stevens of the world off and the aces of the world off is to be sure you're aware of what people are thinking and what it is that they are offering you before you hit yourself to them. Because the reality is if they are not really instructed, if, if their conscience is not, is not instructed by the word of God, if they're not people that are really, really following the truth, things the way they really are, then they're going to end up sometime, somewhere, at some point, even if it's on the day of judgment, that place of destruction. So, think about it now. Think about your own life. Think about the thoughts, the ideas, the people that you follow. And I'm not saying that critically. I'm not pointing any finger. I'm just saying, let's think about it. Let's think about the people who had such an influence upon us, but upon reflection, we realized, you know, if I had somebody in my life say, you don't want to go there, that's not a good person for you to hang with. That's not a good person for you to emulate. How your life might have been different. What, where, where things might have tracked in a different direction. I know it's the case for me. Uh, in my own life, I was, uh, I was uh, 14 when my mother died. And my father uh, was really devastated by the death of my mother. And on top of that, he worked from, uh, from the afternoon shift into the evening. So I was in high school, and I was on my own. And I could do all anything basically I wanted to do. You know, they, they made the mistake. They do this in Connecticut. I don't know what the year, year, age is here in New Jersey. But they make the foolish mistake of allowing a 16-year-old to sit behind a 4,000-pound weapon by giving them a driver's license. And I was an idiot. 
behind the driver's license. I mean, I would drive on the wrong side of the road. I pretend I was like in some Grand Prix and so on and so forth. It was insane. I wasn't living in New York. I was living in a very small town in Connecticut. But I had really no one in my life at that point to warn me off of things that I should have been warned off of that had consequences later down the road that I, I had, to, had to deal with, had to try to struggle with. And so if we stop and we just think for a moment and say, hmm, where, who was it that I was listening to? What, why did I do that? Because more often than not, rarely do we really stop and really consider our actions. More often than not, we're not really thinking about what's informing our decisions. I mean, most people, right, are having their, 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 their understanding of the world, their worldview, their decision-making. It's coming from who knows where. They're, they watch television. They, they see, you know, five minutes of news. They do whatever it is. And, and what happens, it begins to, begins to shape in them their understanding of what, the, of what the world is. There's no intentionality behind it. Let's put it that way. There's no intentionality. There's no one saying, hmm, what is life about? Where am I supposed to be headed? And, and, and who can help me? Who can tell me about, about way, the way the life is supposed to head and where I'm supposed to be? And if we think about who it was that we followed, we have to ask ourselves the next question. Was it something that would lead ultimately to destruction? It might not have, but it might have led to destruction. I mean, you're still here, so good. Or even the second question is, if, even if it wasn't so negative, let's say, it wasn't something that just, you know, you, you just, uh, like that whole picture of just this, this end of the life and it's just drain, did it lead ultimately to eternal life? Because that's where everybody's journey ends. That's where everybody's path stops. That's when we die and that's when we have to, on the, on the day that God has ordained, we have to stand before him. That's where everybody's life ends. So if we ask ourselves those questions and we ask ourselves, you know, who was it that we followed and how did that end up? Where did that go? If we're not pleased with that answer, if, if we're not content with, with, with the, the, the people that, that we have uh, imitated, the people that we have followed, the people we have thought uh, offered us a, a path that, that went somewhere positive, then we have to ask ourselves, who should we follow? Who should we follow? Now, you're in a church, and there's always two good answers when anybody asks a question in a church. Who should you follow? One answer could be Jesus, and the other could be God. That's supposed to be a joke. So, and, and I'll tell you a joke, actually. I'll tell you a joke. Since you're doing a VBS or a, some sort of summer program. Yeah, the, a local kid comes to a church, and he's part of the program. He has no, nothing about Christianity. He's just sitting there. And the Sunday school teacher wants to be cute, asks a little question ahead of time. So, what's grayish brown with a fluffy tail and lives in a tree? And the guy sits there and thinks for a minute, nobody's saying anything. He goes, gee, normally I'd say a squirrel, but since I'm in church, Jesus? <laughs> All right. So, anyway. Yeah. You don't have to credit me with that when you bring the house down. Yeah. So, who should you follow? Well, yes, indeed, you should follow Jesus. Jesus says of himself that I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so, 
There's only one person to follow if one wants to get to life and one wants to walk into truth and be on the way that leads to truth and life, and that's Jesus. He, he, he has come and he has made himself known. He has revealed himself. He has, he has, he has brought to us the, the concrete incarnation revelation of God so that we might know how we are to live. We might have assurance of the path where we're on, that we know where it's headed. You know, one of the ways in which the teacher here in this uh, speaks of this uh, forbidden woman was that she doesn't consider the path of life and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable, unstable. And when you go on and read the rest of the proverb, it really does seem to reflect uh, how someone's life is being lived in the here and now, uh, how, it's, how it's unfolding, where it goes to. And, and, and Jesus offers us himself as a means by which not only can we be on a path that leads to eternal life, but we can actually be on a path where our lives are not like this woman whose ways are unstable, but that are on a solid ground, on a solid foundation. We just sang a song about that. Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed, it collapsed with a great crash. See, not only does Jesus offer us a path that leads to eternal life, he also offers us a life that is able to endure the struggles and the trials of life. When we read this, the storms are still hitting both houses, right? It's not like you become Jesus and there's no more storms. It's not like you you come to faith in Christ and say, ah, everything's rosy. Look at this. The sun's always shining in my life. I have no pains in my knees. My head's always clear, and I know precisely what to do. That's not what it says. It says that indeed the storms will come and beat against the house. The difference is, is that the house will stand if we're heeding the words of Jesus. And why would that be? Because Jesus knows what he's talking about. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's got a complete grasp on the human condition, a complete grasp upon reality. I said this on other occasions. You know, you have to think of this now. Jesus was the only normal person who ever walked on the face of the earth. The only normal human being who's ever walked on the face of the earth. Every other human being has been tainted by sin. Their thoughts are corrupted. They're, 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 they're seeing in a glass dimly. Only Jesus, fully human, takes on our existence and lives as a human being, was meant to live with clarity, with, with, with absolute clarity as to what God expects of human beings, what's good for a human being, what really makes a human being. And that's what he's done for us. When he's coming and being with us, coming and taking on our existence, and when faith unites you to him, his life begins to percolate inside of you. And what, what the wisdom that he has, the knowledge that he has, begins to become your wisdom and your knowledge. And that you can then step back and really evaluate things with that kind of Christ-like mind, as it were. I'm not saying you become Jesus. I'm saying, though, that his life in us is meant to create in us real humanity, real life, a kind of humanity that's able to really live as God was designed human beings to live. 
So, we want to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. If we use this model here from Proverbs 5 about the idea of listen, pay attention, we want to listen, we want to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. He's he's the only one, again, the only one who is able to speak with absolute authority, absolute truth, absolute clarity as to the way things really, really are. So, what's important, if we want to live that kind of non, that stable life, unlike the the forbidden woman, and, and we want to be on the path that leads to eternal life, we need to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. However... It was really great that we're here accepting members into the church because the reality is you cannot do this alone. What does this guy say at the end of his life? I wish I listened to my teachers. I wish I listened to my mentors. I wish I listened to the people. There was somebody speaking to me with wisdom and with understanding, and I just despised it. I didn't want to listen to it. But that's why God brings you in to a, 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 a church why well, he brings you into a community of people because there's going to be people who have been through stuff that you might be going through. There's going to be people who have come out the other end of it and have that kind of experience plus knowledge that can get rightly applied to your situation. Or you can have the kinds of uh, situation that, that Joe said, you know, you don't see you for three weeks, what's going on? He's stepping into life and say, you don't want to go there. You, you don't want to go near that house. You don't want to go anywhere close to that seduction, close to that temptation. Come, come with me. Listen to what I have to say. You know, Paul, this, uh, this, there, there is, in, in doing that, in, in accepting that kind of correction from brothers and sisters, from, from the leaders in the church, that's really receiving that correction from Jesus himself. You know, Paul says at one point when he's writing uh, to Timothy, uh, his uh, kind of protege, He says, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, there's a kind of chain of of passing on this kind of divine wisdom, this kind of this understanding, the, the reality of the way things are that God's revealed to us in his word and through the coming of Christ. And, and, and it's important then, but Paul says, I, you know, you, you've received it from me, Timothy. I need you to turn around and tell somebody that that process has been going on down through the centuries, down through the generations, until you have Joe as your pastor. Joe wants to shepherd you. Joe wants to give you wisdom. Joe wants to be able to help you through things. He's not going to claim he's got all wisdom and all knowledge, but he wants to be there and to help. And if, and if, and if he is God's going to use his pastors, you need to listen to what he has to say. You have to listen to the leaders that God brings into your life because they're, 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 they're there for, to be an example to us. At the end of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says this, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Listen to that again. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. They have spoken the word of God to you. They have taken that word into themselves. They're trying to be faithful and following Christ, and they're trying to draw you with them. That is a divine seduction. That is a temptation that you want to follow because it's God speaking to you through the people that he's put into your life, your mentors, your disciples. So Jesus 
the only one to follow to eternal life, Jesus, the one who gives us the information we need so that our lives can become increasingly stable as we depend upon him, as we rest in him, as we place our faith in him, as we trust that indeed, as he promised, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he's gone to heaven to reserve a place for us so that where he is, we might be also. One day he is coming to gather to himself his own and we will be with him forever. Now, what if you are like verse 14? That is, right now, you feel as though you are on the verge of complete ruin. Can God do anything about that? There's a great story in Luke chapter 7 involving another woman. And she too is called a sinful woman. She's a woman of the city, a sinful woman. And there's, uh, Jesus is invited to a meal with this fellow Pharisee, Simon. And, and as they're having this meal, this woman comes into the house and begins to worship Jesus. She takes his perfume, pours it all over his feet, begins to wipe off his feet with her hair. And, and, and Jesus is focused on this woman. And Simon is only sitting there going, if this guy was a real prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Total disdain for this broken person. Total disdain for this person who feels like she is at the verge of utter ruin. But she has heard the words of Jesus. She has seen in the life and actions of Jesus that there is hope. She knows that if she can come and, and, and yield herself completely to this one, that, that her sins will be forgiven and her life will become new. And that's precisely what Jesus says to her. He looks, he looks, I think it's a scene I, I, that one can envision in their heads easily. He, she just looks at her. And Simon's over here just jabbling away, just feels that, that tension, that heat of that critical spirit behind him. And he wants to say, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? You know, when I came into your house, you didn't give me anything to wash my feet. You didn't give me any oil to refresh my face. You didn't even give me a drink of water. This woman has been bathing my feet with her tears. She's been wiping off the dirt of my feet with her hair. She has not stopped doing that since she came into this house. Simon, let me ask you this. If there are two people that, are, that, that have, have, have sinned, there, there are two people that, that have debt to pay to someone, and, and one's greater than the other, and they're both forgiven, who do you think will have the greater love? He says, well, I guess it's the one who had the greater debt. You're right, Simon. That's why this woman is acting the way she is, because she realizes that, that she has been given mercy. She's been given grace. And she, lives, she leaves that room. She leaves that room affirmed in Christ. She leaves that room a new person. She leaves that room on a whole different track than however her life led up to that moment. God can turn people around. Jesus can take lives and make them new. So, if that's your situation, then, then, then you have an example of someone who in, in the community standards and probably in their own heart or own life feels as though there is no hope for me, but she finds hope in Christ. Jesus says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that can sound like terribly narrow or it can be extraordinarily liberating because you've just found out how to get to the Father, yeah. <laughs> right? You've just found it out. 
How do I get to God? How do I get to the Father? How do I have eternal life? How can my life be changed? Jesus says, it's me. It's me. You've just found it out. And what a glorious, gracious, merciful revelation that is that God would do that. So, here's the teacher speaking to the student, father to the son, telling him, pay attention, listen, listen. Be careful what you're listening to. Don't go after that person. That person's not going to lead you where you need to go. It's only going to end up in destruction. If you listen to the wisdom that I'm offering to you because of my experience, because of what I've seen, then you will not end your life as though you've just, everything has been drained from you. And so God does put people in our lives that help us, that direct us to place our hope, our faith in Christ. I know you have them in your life now because you're part of a church. God has put you into a group of people that are ready and willing to help you. And again, you're you're, going to find, if you're just a new member, you've probably been in here for a while and you've already discovered this. But as Joe said earlier, everybody's a mess. Everybody's a mess. And so people are going to offer you advice at times. It just doesn't really float. But God in his grace has given us his word as well so that we can listen to what God says to match up what's being offered to us with God's revealed truth, the reality. See, God has taken care of us. He's provided for us. He's given to us his word. He's given to us eternal life. He's given to us Christ. He deposits his Holy Spirit within us. And he says, now, I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to show you how to experience what it means to really be a human being to live under the authority of God, the joy, the blessing of that freedom, to to live loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's going to be a difficult road. It's going to take a long time to find out. Steve's still trying to figure it out. But it is the path to be on, and it's the one that does indeed lead to life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the hope that you set before us in Christ, in the gospel. We thank you for the new life that is ours in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we need not depend upon our own wisdom and our own strength, but you have provided for us what we need through your word, through through the coming of Christ, through the brothers and sisters of the body, through pastors and elders and other leaders. Lord God, we thank you that, that your heart for us is that we would know what it's like to really walk a path that that leads to life. And so, Lord God, we commit ourselves into your hands, and we do make that commitment for one another, that we will encourage one another towards that path, towards that life. And Lord, uh, we're going to need your help. So we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives to guide us and to give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.